Welcome to the show, and today we're going to talk about the case of a dual personality, the story of a photon, which when you look closely, it's kind of confused. It's kind of sometimes acts like a wave and sometimes acts like a particle. But to get there and to get to our modern description of light, we need to hop in the time machine and go back quite a ways and talk about where the idea of the photon came from. So we won't go so far back because actually this is one of the older scientific questions we know of. For instance, in 600 BCE, the Hindu philosophers described light as being made of speedy bits of fire. We know that's not the case, and we certainly won't go back that far today because that would take a while. But I suggest if you're interested, you could go to uh, the magazine Nature, and it has a milestone article that's worth a read. We're going to just go back a couple of centuries before Maxwell came along with the electromagnetic theory of radiation, which describes light as waves. And we're going to talk about how uh, many people thought light was a particle. And then they went to waves, and then they went back to particles again, and to our modern description. So today we have with us Professor Steve Ralston. He is both a scientist and co-director here at the JQI. And also, he's been on our podcast before. He likes to uh, dabble in history a little bit. So where do we begin, Steve? In 1678, there was... uh a scientist named Christian Huygens, and he developed sort of one of the first theories of light, and it was a wave theory of light. So just think about waves rippling on a pond. So back in those days, everyone thought there was an ether. What do you mean by ether? Well, the idea that there is an empty space, there's something there, and so he envisioned light as ripples on this ether. We didn't really discover for sure there was no ether until about 1900 or so. One of his kind of scientific competitors was Sir Isaac Newton, and he had the opposite viewpoint. He thought light was particles. And he came to this, I think, you know, he'd done a lot of work on optics. He wrote a book called Optics. And, you know, he recognized that light traveled in perfectly straight lines. But... Even though he thought of it that way, what did, I mean, did he have an experiment that he said, okay, he just knew that light traveled in straight lines? No, in fact, I think he had, he came up with his so-called corpuscular theory of Mm -hmm. light, which was light as particles, and then went and given this model, he could explain most of his observations. As it turns out, you can explain most of them through a wave theory as well, but he just didn't recognize that at the point, Mm -hmm. at that point in time. Okay, so this is late 1600s. Yeah, early 1700s. So okay. then we stepped forward about 100 years. Wait, before you go there, so they didn't really resolve it. They had, or did people just say, okay, Newton must be right, or Huygens they, must they be didn't, right? I don't think they fully resolved it. I think the weight of Newton probably tended to make people uh-huh. tend towards uh, his view of things, but it, it certainly wasn't a, a done deal at any point. Okay, and so Thomas Young comes along. Yeah, so about 1802, Thomas Young made some observations that if he took very thin slits in, say, a piece of paper and illuminated them with light, on the back side, he would see images of the slits, as you might expect, but he also saw fringes in between where the slits were. So when Steve talks about fringes here, you have to picture... Uh, those waves on a pond again, and fringes are where those waves would overlap, and you would see kind of lines or an interference pattern. So he looked at that and said, oh, these are fringes. This is waves interfering, so light is waves. I buy that. (laughs) 
Sounded good. You've convinced me. <laughs> well, it didn't convince everyone, so this was still an open question. And then it takes us a few more years, up till about 1818, and this is my favorite story about uh, the wave versus particle nature of light. So Thomas Young had done this in about 1802. He published a few more things about this kind of stuff in the early 1800s. So in 1818, the French Academy of Sciences decided to have a competition, so let's settle it. Let's nail down the properties of light. And so they were going to have a prize for someone who could really come up with the theory of light. And there was a young engineer named uh, Augustin Fresnel who developed a nice mathematical theory, wave theory of light. And it was very beautiful. We still use it today. We teach it to our undergraduate physics majors in our optics class. It's the Fresnel theory of diffraction. When Steve uses the word diffraction, you can think of it more like uh, bending, how light can bend around objects. So Fresnel came up with this theory and submitted it to the competition uh, to see if he could win. And among the people on the committee was uh, Poisson, who was a very famous uh, esteemed mathematician and physicist. He was, for whatever reason, hardcore particle guy. And so he, he did not like Fresnel's theory. So he decided he would have to prove him wrong. And he looked at Fresnel's theory for a while and realized it would predict what sounded kind of crazy. Take a circular obstruction, so imagine, let's say, a, a ball bearing, and shine light on it. And if you look behind the ball bearing, you should see a circular shadow, right? Yes. And what Fresnel's theory predicted is in the middle of that dark shadow, there should be a little bright spot. And Poisson knew this was idiotic. This could never happen. So he presented this, thought Fresnel's theory is wrong. So actually the head of the committee, who was a, uh, another engineer named uh, Arago, decided to test this. And so he went and actually constructed a little experiment. And sure enough, there was this spot there. So where Poisson had, was proving Fresnel wrong, he in fact proved him right. And, and for that uh, proof, did he get an honor? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the, the best part of the story is Poisson got to have it named after him. So we refer to it as the Poisson spot, even though he was the one who didn't think it should be there to start with. And so this all supports the wave theory right. of light. So we'd pretty much settled on the wave theory of light. And then in 1865, Maxwell came out with the theory of electromagnetism, which explained light as being an electromagnetic wave and everything was neatly tied up we were all set light was a wave okay so up until this point most experiments kind of showed the properties we expect which are the properties you can see at home you can go to these experiments at That's home right. Right. and they connect very physically to us because you know we can look at water waves and things like this and really maybe the hardest part was overturning i mean newton really had a strong influence over That's physics right. Right. For, for, for a long, years. long time. Deservedly so. Yeah. Deservedly so. And so maybe the goal was during those 1800s was to try it. They were, they had to really give a lot of evidence to overturn something right. that was so accepted. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in the late 1800s, you said something happened, and that was that there were some experiments that could not be explained by a wave theory of light. Right. So at the end of the 1800s, we were discovering things about electrons and electricity. 
And among the experiments, it was observed that if you charged something up, so think about the classic thing where you rub a balloon and on your shirt and then it gets a static charge and then you can you know make your hair stand up. If you took that balloon and illuminated it with ultraviolet light, it would discharge it. And that was kind of weird. That was the first place where there was some connection now between light and electricity in terms of charge, not just electromagnetism like Maxwell had. So that was fine. It was a little puzzling. Then in 1902, uh, Philip Lennard did sort of very careful experiments. And what he observed was that you shine ultraviolet light on a material, say a metal, and it emits electrons. Now, electrons had only been discovered a few years earlier, but he definitively showed it was electrons being emitted. And this is what the photoelectric effect is. You shine light on something, and it spits off some electrons. And wait, so how did he actually see the electrons? So he, he had a little vacuum tube and a little window that he could shine in ultraviolet light and then the, essentially made a beam of electrons that he could uh, detect. Um, this was, they, he was essentially extending his experiments on electrons that he was already doing, now adding in the UV light. So what's the deal? Why uh, were waves not a sufficient description of this experiment? So the real key that was really strange, it wasn't just that you get electrons off. So if you think of light as waves, what you imagine is, if I'm going to say measure how much energy the electrons have when they come off, I put in a really big wave. Think about your bobbing on a wave in the ocean. A really big wave comes along. You've got a lot of energy. You're bouncing up and down. And what Lennard showed was that the energy in the electrons coming off didn't matter or didn't depend at all on how strong the UV light was by like a factor of a thousand. He varied the intensity of the light by a huge factor and then the energy of the electrons coming off was unchanged. He also found that the energy of the electrons depended on the color or frequency of the light. And these two factors along with a few others just did not make any sense with any kind of wave theory you could think of. But they were very nice, clean measurements, so they were unambiguous results. And so it was a real puzzle. So that was about 1902. It couldn't at the time be described with the current wave theory of light, is that? That's absolutely correct. So we also have here Alan Mignall of the Joint Quantum Institute, who does his research at NIST and single photon technology. And he has another description of this Lennard's experiment of the photoelectric effect and why it shows that light can behave not just like waves, but as particles. Here's Alan. There was this threshold that you had to have uh, uh, a short enough wavelength. And they also noticed that when you put light of that short enough wavelength on it, it didn't matter how weak that light was, that if you attenuated it, in other words, put it through a, a pair of sunglasses or many pairs of sunglasses so you have a very tiny amount of light going on that no matter how tiny it still had a chance of knocking an electron out and doing it instantly and that fact basically led people to the idea that it must be that light is coming in like particle or bullets and you just need to get one and because the minimum that a particular color can have, in this case the ultraviolet, is 
enough to knock one electron out. And that, in my view and a lot of people's view, cinched the idea that you could think of light as particles. So this is great. Now we have these experiments that show very clearly that light can behave not just like a wave, but also like a particle. And this is around the time, the beginning of the 1900s, when quantum physics first was on the scene because uh, Planck had just described blackbody radiation in terms of, you know, quantized oscillators. And if you want to hear more about that, you can listen to our blackbody radiation podcast. But for now, we'll jump a couple of years later when Einstein tries to describe the photoelectric effect by quantizing the energy of light. And I asked Steve about this, and here's what he had to say. Yeah, so Einstein came along in 1905, so just a few years later. And he wrote one of his seminal papers. He was only 26 years old at the time. Only 26, really? Only 26. Makes you feel old, doesn't it? (laughs) It's the radio. Nobody knows how old I am. (laughs) Except that I just referred to this as radio. (laughs) In this, this was a fairly long paper, and in the paper was just two short pages where he essentially explained the photoelectric effect by assuming light came in chunks or quanta as he called it i see so uh did people what did people think about this well so let me just read i actually have einstein's paper here and let me just read the first sentence of this short thing it says the usual conception that the energy of light is continuously distributed over the space through which it propagates encounters various serious difficulties when one attempts to explain the photoelectric phenomena, as has been pointed out in Herr Lennard's pioneering paper. So he was saying, this is a problem. You can't think of it as continuous, which really means think of it as waves. And he ended up with a absolutely trivial equation that a third grader could uh, understand, basically that the energy of the photon, we'll call it a photon now, was just equal to a constant times the frequency. This is Planck's constant, as it turns out, minus some other constant having to do with the material. So basically, the energy is H times F minus W, where W is a constant, what we call the work function. And this explained everything. The idea was, imagine light coming in as a quanta. It gets absorbed by an electron, transfers its energy to the electron, and the electron goes boop and pops out of the surface. And it comes out pretty much with the energy of the photon minus whatever work it had to do to climb out of the surface. So so really the, the way to think of it might be not trying to think of light so much as chunks itself, but the energy of light as chunks That's itself. right. And so this is really, you know, one of the seminal points in terms of the birth of quantum physics is now considering light coming in chunks like this. So so I was going to say, you know, Einstein, probably most people think that Einstein won the Nobel Prize for his theory of relativity, um, which came around about the same time. And in fact, if you look at the citations, Einstein won the Nobel Prize in 1921. It was for his services to theoretical physics and especially for his discovery of the law of the photoelectric effect. It's kind of interesting because there was still a little controversy about relativity, so they were being very vague with that service to theoretical physics, Mm -hmm. but this little two-page, ten-paragraph piece of that paper was what they really cited as his contribution. 
So I think we've uh, uh, convinced ourselves that, or maybe Einstein convinced us that light is made of, comes in chunks. This ener The energy of light comes in chunks. That's right. But did scientists accept this right away? It, it took a little while. In fact, Millikan, who's another fairly famous physicist, um, didn't really believe this, and he went off and did an experiment and ended up with the most accurate measurement of Planck's constant as a result. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, people fell into lying pretty quickly because it, the experiments that followed really agreed quite well with this very simple uh, equation. But they didn't abandon the wave idea either. No, and you shouldn't. Uh, we use waves all the time. So it's kind of the almond joy principle. You know, sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes <laughs> you don't. Sometimes it's a wave, sometimes it's a particle. Right. So both are good descriptions of light. and That's right. The real importance was that it wasn't just a wave. Exactly. So uh, are there other quantum properties of light? I mean, is it is this the main quantum property of light? or? It's certainly one of the most important quantum properties of light. Um, and I should also point out that not just light acts like waves or particles. So we do experiments here in the JQI where we have atoms and we can get fringe patterns from our atoms waves interfering. But of course, most of the time you think of atoms as particles. In fact, this is the topic of one of our other podcasts uh, on matter acting as waves. Uh, in fact, quantum objects in general, they uh, have both wave properties and particle properties. And so we have examples where we have atoms that get really cold. And when they are room temperature, they act like billiard balls. But when they are very cold, then their wave properties emerge and they start to behave uh, or obey quantum mechanics. And for that, you'd have to listen to another podcast. So that's it for today. So thank you, Steve and Alan, for uh, helping us out. And stay tuned because, as I said, we're going to break this podcast about photons into a couple of different podcasts. And next time, we'll learn about the properties of the photon. Bye.